So Angelina Jolie said, the side of fairy tales I don't like is that they always have happy endings, that there's just good and evil and things are perfect, but life is a little more complicated, and that's what I try to teach my kids. And she's right, that life is complicated. It's not just simply good and evil. It's really gray. It's really messy. A lot of times, things that you expect to happen because you did the right things don't actually pan out, and you get something you don't deserve. Bad things happen to good people. People that deserve something positive and encouraging, they get something that is the complete opposite. Life is not a fairy tale. It's not a happy ending for everybody. And that's what we're moving into tonight as we're getting close to the end of our series, The Chase. We're looking at justice. We've looked at a whole bunch of different topics already, meaning and happiness and accomplishment and destiny and wisdom. And I think what's so important for us to, to remember and to hold on to as we're closing out our series next Sunday is that this book has been written for the skeptic. It's been written for the person that doubts. And the author, who is most likely Solomon, has been wrestling through all of these questions his whole life. And I know a lot of you in this room are at that place. You have a lot of questions. You're skeptical. You're on the journey of faith. Maybe you're just starting it, or you're kind of into it a little bit, but you still got a lot of thoughts. And then a lot of you here, you've, you've been a Christian. You've identified as a Christian for a long time. You've seen God mature and grow your faith. But here's the reality. This book and this series is for all of us because Solomon was a man of faith who was used by God in incredible ways, and he was known to be the wisest person that ever lived. And this is the account of the things that he struggles with as he did reflection, as he was honest with himself. He struggled with meaning and happiness and accomplishment and destiny and wisdom, and tonight you're going to see that he struggles with the concept and the idea of justice, especially as he looks out on the landscape of the world and in his life, things don't seem just. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever asked this question before. How can a good and all-powerful God allow such evil and suffering? Have you ever asked that question? Every hand should go up. Uh, again, like last week, a lot of you are like, you know, you don't want to raise your hand all the way up. I know all of you wanted to because we all ask this question. We look out at what's happened. I mean, this week in particular, you have all this exciting you know, news and ideas coming together around the royal wedding and people are having tea parties and they're doing all types of other stuff. Someone asked me this week, are you gonna watch the royal wedding? I was like, what? what, what why would I do that? I don't even know what that is. Apparently it's a big deal. A lot of you watch it and you're really excited about it and I'm happy for that. But you have this positive thing, this exciting thing. In the same week, we have another school shooting, 10 kids. And it's like you look at this stuff and you look at what's happening in our world and you're like, why? Why would God allow this stuff to happen? But you don't only have to look out, right? You can look in your own life and you can say, I don't feel like a lot of the things that have happened to me and a lot of things that are happening in my life, I deserve. I mean, I'm trying my best. I'm putting my foot forward. I'm, I'm trying to live a good life and live the right way. And some of the things that are happening to me and the people I love, it's like, why would God allow this? And this is the question that Solomon is addressing through our narrator tonight. Our narrator is the teacher through the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and he's wrestling with the concept of chasing after justice and trying to find justice. And here's what he says in verse 11. 
I've observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. Sometimes you can be the fastest runner, you can train, you can diet, you can prepare, and you can be regarded as the fastest person in the line of people for the 100-yard dash. But there are times when you launch and about halfway through the race you pull a hamstring and you don't win. The fastest runner finishes last. Sometimes the strongest warrior does not win the fight. I remember in college, I got really into UFC, mixed martial arts, and we went to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings, top choice when you're in college. Went there with some friends, we're watching this fight, and I was so excited. It was against George St. Pierre and Matt Serra. And George St. Pierre was regarded as the greatest pound-for-pound fighter at the time in the world. Matt Serra was a good fighter, but nobody thought he had a chance to be George St. Pierre. He was skilled at every different level. And you know what's going to happen. He come, the fight starts in the very beginning, and just like that, one punch, and it's to this day still the greatest upset in UFC history. Matt Serra, one punch, takes out the greatest pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Sometimes the strongest warrior does not win the battle. This is our life, and we know this, right? Doesn't matter what you do, you can train, you can prepare, you can do everything right. Sometimes you don't get what you believe you deserve and things happen that you can't control. And the teacher continues with this thought. He says, the wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. Sometimes it doesn't matter how much focus and determination and what your work ethic is like and what opportunities you previously had, you can set goals, you can, you can desire to achieve, you can desire to experience certain things in your life, and it doesn't matter, you're not going to get there. Sometimes the wise don't prosper. Sometimes the educated don't lead successful lives. You can do everything right, and sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce in your favor. And he's saying it feels like Things just kind of happen by chance. It's just about being in the right place at the right time. And I think probably all of us in here have, have felt like that to some degree. You've thought to yourself, you know, there are some things that have happened in my life that I did not control, and it was a product of being in the right place at the right time or being born to the right family, being born in the right neighborhood, in the right country, given the unique and right opportunity. And if those things changed a little bit, probably wouldn't be here in Miami. I probably wouldn't have my job. I probably wouldn't have this experience or this friend group or what if things would change if you're just born in a different situation or you were raised under a different culture or a different regime or a different family. Things would be different. Sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. And the teacher goes on and he shares this story and he kind of wants you to understand what he means by this. And he says, here's another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I've watched the way our world works. So he's saying, this is how the world works. There was a small town with only a few people, and a great king came with his army and besieged it. A poor wise man knew how to save the town. So right there, he's wanting you to send something. Wait, it's a small town, and yet the, the wise man is poor. This shouldn't be how it is. The wise man should be leading because he's wise, but he's poor. 
but he knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. And here's the moment in the movies, right? In the fairy tales, you're like, this is a perfect setup. Small town, great big king, an army coming to besiege it. You have this poor wise man. He was not born into the right family. He wasn't given the right opportunities. He was never in the right place at the right time. But here's his moment. He's poor, but he's wise, and he knows how to save the town. And for some reason, people that are in power listen to him, and he saves the town, and then he gets made leader and king of the town, and everyone honors him, and they have a parade, and it's wonderful and exciting and happy, but that's not the world. He says, but afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. What they will say will not be appreciated for long. Sometimes, even when you save a town, you're not made king. It's like, well, thank you for the advice. Now go back to your life. Sometimes the way that you expect things to go, they don't go that way. You feel like, man, I shouldn't be in this position. I should have different opportunities. That should never have happened to me. Why is this happening to me? So he's saying here that just because, yes, wisdom is better than strength, None of these things and nothing you can do will guarantee success or prosperity or the accomplishment of all the dreams and goals that you have. And he's saying this is a harsh reality. Bad things happen to good people. And sometimes deserving people receive undeserving things. He says in verse 12, people can never predict when hard times might come. Like a fish in a net or, a bir or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. Hard times happen to all of us in this room, right? We have all had those things happen to us. Some of you are going through them right now. And you can't predict them. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you make the right decisions or the wrong decisions. It doesn't matter how you're living your life, if you're disciplined, if you're making you know, wise decisions or making foolish. It doesn't not matter. Hard times come. That's part of our life because it's complicated. And sometimes tragedy befalls us and others, and it comes out of nowhere. And you can't predict it, and you can't control it. And this is what causes our existential crisis when we, when we say this to God, which we've all asked, and maybe you're still wrestling through. God, why would you allow it? I don't understand. I have this sense of justice that is written in my heart. I want things to be fair. I want good things to happen to good people, and it's okay for me if bad things happen to bad people because they deserve that. I want you to get what you deserve. So why are bad things happening to good people, and why are undeserving things happening to deserving people? It doesn't make any sense. Do you care? Are you involved? Are you there? This is our existential crisis, and the teacher is asking these same questions, and he's wrestling through these same thoughts thousands of years ago. And he says this in verse 2, the same destiny ultimately awaits everyone. Whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. He's saying this is what seems so cruel about our life and our world. Everybody suffers the same fate. We all die. That's one thing. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad, religious or irreligious, ceremonially clean or unclean, righteous or wicked, none of these things matter because you're going to experience hard times and tragedy will befall you and those around you and you can't predict it and you can't stop it. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. That is life. And life is complicated. And a lot of times it does not seem fair. It doesn't seem just. And this is so hard for us. It's hard for me. Because this is not how we desire for things to operate, right? We really, really, really want karma in its truest extent to be real, right? We want positive thinking to produce positive results. We want good behavior to produce good things. We want bad behavior, well, it's expected, to produce bad things. Negative behavior to produce negative things. But that's not how life works. On a small scale, we may see that sometimes, right? So if you're lying to your friend, you're lying to a family member, and you're constantly doing that, there's probably going to be a moment in time where you're exposed. And there's going to be consequences for your actions. That happens sometimes. And sometimes you can, you can start a business, and you can start an investment fund, and you can start it under false claims and with false promises, and eventually, most of the time, you'll be exposed See, a lot of times on a small scale, negative and wicked and foolish behavior will produce negative and bad things, consequences, most of the time. And on the flip side, if you go to work and you're disciplined and you're hardworking and you're loyal and you're kind and you're focused at your job, most of the time, that could produce opportunities for advancement or promotion, maybe a bump in your paycheck, most of the time. Just like if you think back to school, a lot of you are still in school, and you know most of the time if you do your homework and you study, you're going to get good grades, which is going to afford you better opportunities and a nice next step into the next school that you go to because some of you are in school for like half of your life. I don't know why. Or a better job. Most of the time it works out like that. But the key word is most of the time. It's not all the time. We desire to live in in a world and in a society and in a system that is just from our understanding of good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, and that's how it should be. And when we look out, it doesn't happen like that all the time. That's not how life is. It's complicated. It's not a fairy tale. Sometimes the fastest runner doesn't win the race and the strongest warrior doesn't win the battle. Sometimes wisdom doesn't matter. Sometimes your work ethic and your focus and your drive and your attention to what you're doing doesn't produce that promotion. Sometimes you can study really hard and get good grades and you're never given that opportunity. Sometimes you can lie and cheat and steal and never get found out. That's our world. We're chasing a system that is just, but we don't live in that system and that doesn't make any sense to us. We look to God and we say, God, why? (laughs) I don't understand why you would allow this. Why would you allow this system to go on? You claim to love us. You claim to be good. You claim to be powerful. The teacher is wrestling with this, and he says, it seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Why? If you do good things, you should get good things. If you do bad things, you should get bad things. We want some sense of control in the results. But then he's honest. 
See, throughout this book, you notice that the teacher, the author as well, is honest, takes time to reflect, doesn't just assume that he's had everything together and he's already dealt with all the skeptical questions and doubts of his life. He takes time to process and to ask hard questions. And in this moment of honesty and in this reflection, he says this, we're already twisted by evil. People chose their own mad course for they have no hope. He says, we're chasing a system that is just and we don't live in that system and that frustrates us. But the truth is, we created the system we live in. We've created it and we perpetuate it. This is our system and it exemplifies us. It looks like us. We're not all good and we're not all bad. We're, we're just kind of mixed up. This is a system that we've created. This is a sin-stemic system. You like that? Come on, I felt real good about that this week. I was writing, I was like, whoa. We live in a sin-stemic system. Woo. Hashtag that right there. The author Francis Spufford wisely says this about us, and this is so true. He says, we are creatures who don't get to decide what we are, whose natures are always partly hidden from our conscious understanding, who always pull several ways at once, wherever the line is drawn between acceptable and unacceptable, between kind and cruel, between clean and dirty, we're always going to be voting on both sides of it, despite ourselves. We are complicated people. We are on both sides of good and evil, kind and cruel, wise and foolish, and we live in a system that we've created because it looks like us. See, one of the things I've noticed about justice is that when you shout and when you demand justice, it's always because you believe yourself to be on the side of prosecutor. You're not guilty. You don't have to defend. You're not the defender. You're either suffering something that is unjust, you're being oppressed, and that is understandable and that is good. You see, when, when you're being oppressed and when you're being treated with injustice, when you're be, being treated a way that you don't deserve, you should shout for justice and you should desire justice and commend justice. And even when you're on the outside and you don't really have a hand in the game, you're not really involved, you're not the prosecutor or the defense, you should stand on the side of justice because it's written on our heart. We want to live in a world of justice. That's understandable, but here's the problem. We take that same approach to God, and we believe ourselves to be on the side of prosecutor, right? We look to God and we say, God, defend yourself. Why would you allow this to happen? This makes no sense. I mean, from my mind, which is pretty superior, obviously, God, why? You seem cruel. You seem like you don't care. You seem like you're uninvolved. You need to explain yourself, God. And this is how we treat God in our, in our conversations and in our heart and when we wrestle with these things. And the question I was wrestling with this week as, as I process this, because this has been something that I've wrestled through and I've asked a lot in my own life. This is a hard topic. As I ask myself this question, do I really want justice from God? 
Because I know myself. Do I really want to get what I deserve? You see, Apostle Paul says this in Romans 3. He says, None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have gone wrong, no one does, what's the word? Good. Not even one. No one does good. Not only are we complicated, and we're this mixture of kind and cruel and wise and foolish and good and, and evil in, in the sight of God. I mean, none of us seek him. None of us do good. None of us are righteous. And then, and then the Apostle Paul gives like a little bit of a jab just so you really feel it. And he says this, then the wages of sin is death. So we're sinful. We don't do good. We're not righteous. We don't deserve love and forgiveness and acceptance from God. And actually our sin and our state and who we are as human beings this conflicted creature, we deserve death. We deserve separation from God. That's who we are. So the question is, do we really want justice? Do we really want to get what we deserve? And I think part of our problem is that we don't really identify as sinful. We live in a culture that tells us that we are good. We're mostly good. And then we ourselves, because all of us in this room, myself included, we all struggle with pride. And so what do we do? Even if we identify as sinful and even if we know that we're conflicted and we have some things that we want to work on and we need to grow in, and there, but we have a lot of things that are good as well, we compare, right? Do you do that? Like, I know I'm sinful. I, I know I make mistakes, but like compared to that person, I'm, I'm pretty good. Or we look at the things that we do well and we say, you know what? Yes, I know I have mistakes. I know I'm sinful. But these things I'm doing really well. I go to church all the time. I'm in a community group. I pray. I'm honest at work. I'm working hard. I'm trying to care for my friends and my family. I mean, I'm doing a lot of really good things. So God, I don't understand why you're not giving me good things. I'm doing my part. I'm good, so give me good results. I don't understand why I should experience any kind of suffering or any kind of tragedy or any kind of hardship because... I'm pretty much good. You see, part of the problem, and for myself included, is that we don't identify with our sin. We don't really feel it. And, and John Piper, a theologian and pastor, he has this quote on sin. And I want to go line by line because it is so powerful and it is so true. And I hope it, one, challenges you to really be honest with yourself like the teacher has done in this book. And here's what he says. What is sin? It's the glory of God not honored. It is the holiness of God not reverenced. It is the greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. That's sin. And I don't know about you, but every one of those I fail at. I mean, I'm a conflicted creature. We're all conflicted creatures, but we're sinful creatures. 
It's not the same approach that we take with our world and our system and relationships between each other. Because if we are that in relation to a perfect God, do we really want to get what we deserve? Do we really want justice? You see, the justice of God is one of two things. The justice of God is either forgiveness or it's forfeiture. It's one of two. It's either forgiveness or it's forfeiture. It's when you identify with God and you recognize that you are all of those things and more. That you are sinful, that you're not good, and that you can never earn or deserve God's love. And so you have come to find his grace and his forgiveness and his presence by faith in Jesus Christ who did what? He took what you deserve. He paid for your sin and for your death on the cross. He took it upon himself so it doesn't go to you, so you actually don't get justice. He took it for you so that God's justice is satisfied in Christ, and through faith in him, you get instead forgiveness. But then the other side is that God gives you what you deserve and what you desire. You see, it's either forgiveness or it's forfeiture, which means you get yourself. You don't want anything to do with God. You don't want God. So he gives you that. He gives you your sin and your double-mindedness, and he says, you don't want to be with me. You don't want a relationship with me. You don't want to trust me. You don't want to follow me. That's okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you separation from myself. You will forfeit life with me. So I'm going to give you what you deserve and what you desire. The justice of God is either forgiveness or it's forfeiture. You see, God is just but just not in the way that we understand it. And sometimes when you hear this, you're like, okay, I understand that. I understand that God is forgiving sin and, and that God offers forgiveness by faith in Christ. Instead of giving me what I deserve, he gives me Jesus' sacrifice and he gives me his love and his forgiveness. Or if I don't have faith, I forfeit that. I forfeit that relationship with God. But I still struggle with believing that God really cares for what's happening in the world. Why is he allowing that to go on? I don't understand why he would allow that to go on. And Jesus shares this parable. He says this parable, and he says, listen, imagine an owner of a field. And the owner of the field says, I'm going to plant some good wheat. So he puts the seeds in the field, and he plants this good wheat. And then he goes to sleep, and everyone that works for him goes to sleep. And in the middle of the night, the enemy comes, and the enemy plants weeds. These bad weeds in the field. In the morning and as the, the plants begin to sprout, the servants who are working the field notice that there are weeds mixed in with the wheat. And they freak out. They're like, this is not okay. This field is supposed to be for good wheat. The weeds are not supposed to be there. These are bad. They're going to choke out the wheat. They're going to cause problems. It's going to be hectic. So we need to go back and figure out what to do. So they go back to the owner. They say, listen, we've got a problem. We've got wheat we got the good wheat that we want there, but then we have these weeds, and they're growing up alongside it, and this is a huge issue. So we're going to go back in there, okay, and we're going to rip out all the weeds because the field is only supposed to be good. And the owner says, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. Don't do that. Because what's going to happen is you're going to go in there, you're going to start ripping things out, and you're not going to be able to distinguish between what's weeds and what's wheat, and a lot of the good wheat you're going to rip out. Trust me, at the end of the time of harvest, I will separate the bad weeds from the good wheat because I can distinguish between the two. And the good wheat will be fine growing alongside the weeds. It's not desirable, but it will be okay. 
You see, obviously in this story, the owner of the field is God, who's looking out at his world, and he sees that there's good wheat that is growing, but there are weeds growing alongside of it. And God, in his wisdom, for some reason, has decided for both good and bad to grow together, and he believes that good can grow alongside of it and may actually encourage its growth, and that at one moment in time, he will gather together all that has been harvested, and he will separate the good from the bad. But it's important that we recognize who we are in the story. We're the servants. Imagine how they feel. They go to the owner. They say, hey, we have a great plan. There should, good and bad should not mix, so we're going to go fix it. And he says no. And how do they probably leave that interaction? Frustrated, angry, mad, confused. Like, what is up with the owner? Doesn't he know good and bad things should not mix together? Wheat and weed should not go together. Does he not care about the field? Does he not care about the good wheat? Why would he allow this to happen? Maybe he's cruel. Maybe he doesn't care. And see, this parable is to challenge us in the way that we view how the owner deals with his field. Because our logic is faulty and our sense of justice is skewed. And so what we see from this passage is that we're to walk away with two things. One, resting in the justice of God, which is forgiveness for you. Identifying, regardless of whether you've heard this a million times or the first time you've heard it in your life, that God does not give you what you deserve. He gives you forgiveness by faith in Christ. That is unbelievable. That should transform this night, your week, your life, because God loves you and gives you grace and forgiveness instead of what you deserve. So rest in the justice of God that he gives you forgiveness. And secondly, remember that you're a servant. Don't run ahead of the owner. Don't believe that because you have a problem, you can't understand how God works in these ways, that you know more than the owner of the field. He knows what he's doing. And it's not easy to trust. It's not easy to understand why he would allow such things to happen. But that's what he calls us to do is to trust him. And to remember that we're not the same as him. And our logic is faulty and our sense of justice is skewed. So my prayer for all of us is as we're chasing after justice, instead of chasing after justice, we would chase after the forgiveness of God and we would chase after the reality that we are not the owner of all of this and he is in charge and praise God we're not. Let's pray. God, we are so, so incredibly thankful that it's not up to us. It's not up to us to earn our way to you. It is not up to us to purchase our own forgiveness because we would never be able to do it. We're not good. We don't seek you. We're not righteous. We thank you, God, that you are. You are good, you are righteous, and you are wise. And so would we rest tonight in the reality that you give us forgiveness, not what we deserve. And thank you, Jesus, that you have satisfied the justice of God by taking on yourself and purchasing on the cross what we do deserve, which is death and separation from you. 
Would we find forgiveness and not forfeit a life with you tonight? Will we also remember, God, that we're a servant? We are not the owner. Our logic is not the same as yours, and our sense of justice is not the same as yours, but we would rest and trust and give us strength, God, as we struggle with that. To really trust you with your creation and with your world, recognizing that we're the ones that have created this system in the first place, knowing that you're going to make all things new. You're going to separate the good from the bad, and you're going to redeem both the field and the plant. That is us in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.